Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then in the next few verses... James begins to describe how that Elijah, the prophet of old, was powerful and shut up the heavens with his voice because he knew how to tap into this passion. He prayed again, and then the heaven did bring forth her fruit. The last verse simply lets us know that if you can convert a sinner or one that has missed the mark from the error of his ways, you're saving a soul from death, and you're hiding a multitude of sins. I'm going to give instruction by way of sermon or message, and then I will lead you into some gifts of the Spirit corporately, and uh, you will respond individually as you hunger, and then we will let God use us together for the sake of why He is bringing us to this place. So I'm not uh, sermonizing. And not preaching a message just uh, through a traditional format. But very much this is a show and tell today. This is a participation. So I'm encouraging you to let your faith become strong so that God will use you. Talking about power prayers. Power prayers. God bless you. You may be seated. Of course, the key word in this particular text or the key phrase is the last part of verse 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if you begin to see that this is indeed a thread of context throughout James' entire fifth chapter, the writing here in chapter 5, that you will find that this is what he's speaking about, that you can be passionate and fervent in your prayer, and it will be very effectual, and it will avail much. If we jump back up to verse 13 where we began to read our text, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. But in context of what James is saying and what we have just established, he's saying if you happen to be going through something in life, you're in the middle of a battle, you're in a fight, you're being afflicted, then use that passion that you have in the middle of that fight in prayer. If the enemy has come against you, then let a holy indignation rise up in you, Batman. And just pray by that passion and that anger that is upon you. Behind me, plead the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all right to be fervent, passionate. And James is saying there's a time when you are in the battle when you are being afflicted, when the enemy has come against you. For God's sake, use the anger that you have, the passion that you have to be powerful in prayer. The second part of 13 
says, is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. Now, uh, I'm using King James Version just because it's common most places that I go. But we don't use these words much anymore, merry and psalms. But it simply means if you woke up this morning with a smile on your face and joy of the Lord flowing from you and you didn't know why but you skipped your way to the bathroom to fix your hair and just the joy of the Lord was all about. You'd been, by goodness sake, come to church and dance and come to church and lift your voice and jump and shout because we need that. So if you happen to be in a place where God has just answered all of your prayers and everything is just, just joy is upon you, let it shine. Use the passion of where you're at. This continues in verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And then pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure about everyone, of course, but for me, when I get sick, I'm a baby. And, and I just... I just want Luscious to, to take care of me. Luscious to me, Lois to you. And I just want to be babied, and I don't, I don't want to take care of myself. I, I, don't, I, I find it difficult to even pray for myself when I'm sick. Much less minister to anyone else. And I think this is touching that when he says if you're sick, if you come to a place in your life where... Man, just the circumstance of life, it's difficult for you to do anything. Well, for goodness sake, don't just try to battle that alone. There is a body of Christ that he has given us. So call for the elders, those that have anointing and respect in the house of God, and begin to tell them where you're at in sickness. Now, I'm going to just throw some thoughts out here for you concerning this because I, I think that we miss the context of this. We make this a traditional ceremony in our church services, and I'm not against this at all, where we call people to come down to the front and we take the olive oil and anoint them with oil and we pray the prayer of faith. I'm not against that. I think that that's a good principle and it's here for us to do. But in context, there's something that we're missing. First of all, culturally, there was something they did that James was referring to. If you remember when Jesus um, went to the house of Simon the Pharisee and the disciples were there, Martha and Lazarus was there, and then Mary came in carrying that alabaster box and breaking that spikenard, that precious ointment that she anointed head and feet and with, his, with her tears dried, uh, her hair dried the tears on, her, on his feet. You remember the story. When Jesus looks at Simon after all this has happened, he makes this statement. He says, Simon... I came into here and you didn't wash my feet. But she has with her tears washed my feet and dried them with her hair. Because it was very customary at the time, and most of you know this, that they ate on the floor, pallets on the floor, a blanket perhaps on the floor, perhaps just six inches off the floor. They would recline on pillows or either flat on the floor with their feet out beside them as they reclined, kind of leaning on one hand or maybe setting up with both hands, but their feet out beside behind them. That put their feet in close proximity to the person sitting beside them. 
This is why it was customary at the time that you were met when you walked in the door and they washed your feet. A servant would do that or, or uh, someone that wanted to serve you would do that for you. So Jesus is mentioning this custom that I came into this place and you didn't show a servitude spirit to me. I still got the dusty feet that I've been walking with sandals down to Bethany's road to get here. But he also makes another comment. He also said, you didn't anoint my head with oil when I came in here. But she has anointed with this spike through my head and my feet. Customary at the time was this, that a guest of honor, as Jesus was at that time, would be anointed with oil, a perfumed oil, when they came into the house or the meeting place. So that everyone that passed by them would smell that oil and know this is the guest of honor. This is the one that this entire show or celebration or feast is all about. And I think James is making reference to that, just a thought. James is making reference to that when he begins to speak about this. That if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. The church, those that are elder and know how to have the respect and the reverence of God. And be a, and the, God and the people. And they will anoint you with oil. Now, it would work like this way perhaps in, in our church services that we're more customary. Just a thought. That when we begin to speak to the elders, I've got a sickness in my body, a disease in my body. That there would be an agreement among the people of God that God wants to do something special for that saint. So they would be anointed with oil, a perfumed oil, and everybody that sits around them, everybody that shakes their hand, everybody that loves on them would know this is a special person in this place because God's going to do something for them. There, there's something we're going to do in this place today that is special for them. All right, just, just a thought and believe it traditionally or maybe think about this and study yourself. But I believe this is speaking, James is telling us again, that it's about not dealing with this yourself when you don't have the passion and the fervency to do that, but sharing it with somebody else. This is why the next verse says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's in connection with the former verse. Again, there are some religious groups that have made a huge ceremony out of confessionals. Confessional booths, confessional services, um, people that you confess to and, and all these things. But again, in context, what James is saying, this word faults here, confess your faults, is a word that means your circumstance of life, the situation in which you are. That don't just hide it and keep it to yourself. Tell somebody about what you're dealing with about how you perhaps have been in a fight with the enemy or perhaps you're trying to break through this particular place or, or you're working on this deliverance and if perhaps you're sick or you're embattled or you don't have strength but you share it with somebody else, their strength and their anointing can pull together and we can still be effectual because we're fervent and we're passionate as the body of Christ. All right. So I think you made that bridge with me there. So James is absolutely speaking of this. And then he begins to talk about Elijah, the man of God, who was so powerful that he shut up the heavens. It will not rain. There will be no dew till I speak again. And for three and a half years, it did not rain. There was no dew. I'm sure you know the story. If not, read it. Tremendous, powerful 
uh, revelation of anointing and the prophetic within this particular passage, Kings. And so Elijah has spoken the word and it has not rained. He speaks again and it does rain. But there's a little bit of a statement here in verse 17 which simply says he was a man subject to like passions as we are. And often I've heard this traditionally preached, uh, something like this. Well, Elijah dealt with things just like we did, but look how powerful he was. But in context, again, what the Scripture is saying is that Elijah didn't have any more passion than you do. He, he didn't have any more fervency. He didn't have any more virtue. He didn't have any more anointing. And indeed, he was only moved on by the Holy Ghost. It didn't even live within him as an Old Testament prophet of God. But yet he was still able to shut the heavens up and it didn't rain. Because he was passionate and he was fervent and he was very effective in the way he prayed. I'm going to tell you how the prophets of old, most of them, operated. They separated themselves from the cares of the culture. Like John the Baptist, they live out in the wilderness and wore camel skins and ate locusts and wild honey. Probably not what you're thinking locust is. It's actually a plant. But it's very different. He was away from culture so that culture didn't steal his passion. Then he was able to be very passionate and very effective as he comes into the city or people come to him in ministry and he begins to speak and declare. The prophets of old very much this way live outside the culture and the culture doesn't steal their passion. Our world is absolutely visited and fixed to try to steal your passion. You have a certain amount of passion, a certain amount of fervency, a certain amount of virtue and the world wants to use it up on entertainment, on... Um, Sports entertainment, and I love sports as, as much as the next individual, but, but it'll take you on highs and lows and, and pursuit of heroism and championship. And, and instead of pursuing things of God, you can use all of your passion up on things in this world. Even the old rat race, the almighty dollar, you know. That can consume your passion until the intelligence you have and the ability you have and the passion, the fervency you have is used on everything else. And we have very little for the kingdom of God. So here's the example we have of Elijah. That there is a place that you can go in prayer that is effectual. It is fervent. It is passion. But you've got to learn to not consume your passion on everything else. To focus it for the things of the kingdom of God. Because even Elijah had no more. Now, this word that I've been throwing in here, virtue, is what the New Testament speaks of with energy and passion. That word virtue actually in the Greek is, is dunamos, power, dynamite is, as we would think of it. It's very powerful, but that virtue, in times when Jesus ministered, virtue would flow from him. When the issue of blood touched him, he felt virtue flow from him. Feeding the 5,000 with a happy meal. Virtue flowing from him. These, these things are happening. He has to go and get his virtue back. My experience is absolutely that in ministry. That there is an energy that flows from you. Now they, whoever they is, say that if you are an apostolic Pentecostal style preacher and you preach for a solid hour, which 
shouldn't happen much in our culture today. But there is, it's like working an eight-hour job because it drains you, not just physically, but you're physically operating, you're mentally operating, you're emotionally operating, and then the flow of ministry exhausts you. And I feel that way. I, for 10 years, I was a paint contractor. I worked a lottery model, and I understand business, and I understand operating business. I understand labor and work, and I understand the exhaustion of that after an eight-hour day. But if I preach close to an hour, I feel that way. Now, if I minister, and this is me, after that in the Holy Ghost or in the Spirit, it's like working double overtime for me. <laughs> I, I leave feeling depleted of virtue, just energy. Strength. So there is this flow that we find in our physical frame. You know, this treasure we have in earthen vessels. That we have this powerful thing of God lives in us, but we have got to somehow train or prioritize or protect our passions, our fervency, so we can be effectual in prayer. Power prayers. Now, when you watch Jesus praying, Take the Garden of Gethsemane. Crucial time in his ministry. Crucial time in the church. But the writer of Hebrews says at this time, it was heard in that he feared. And that with tremblings, he prayed to be released from the purpose of God. The gospels declared he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. So this prayer is very passionate, very fervent. In fact, the disciples are a stone's throw away. And what they're seeing overcomes them that they have to close their eyes. The scripture doesn't say because they were so sleepy they closed their eyes and slept. It says that they slept for sorrow. That what they saw him doing was almost too much for them to handle. The passion, the anointing by which he prayed. And so they just closed their eyes. It's like someone pulling the cover up over their head because they don't want to face tomorrow. Sleeping for sorrow. Times that Jesus would pray with great anointing. Now, we have the Lord's Prayer, which is given to us in the Gospels. And I love the way that it is broken down and preached by our pastors and different ones that teach us how to pray. But I, I want you to see along with that, that this is not really telling us how to pray, but it's telling us to pray. They are watching Jesus pray. And as they're watching him, something about the passion and the anointing of the way he's praying, they're like, man, I want to be able to pray like that. I, I want that in my life. So they said, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples to pray. And the Lord began to say, well, when you go to pray, pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And when you look at the division of this prayer, it's not just a great way to pray that you should honor this and you should do that. But if you actually see God as your Father and you hallow his name, it positions yourself in a place where you become passionate in your prayer. Don't have time to talk about that and discuss that, but look at it sometime. Go for it sometime. And this is when they began to learn to pray, to pray. I learned to pray the same way because I would uh, I'd go in the pre-service prayer room or the Monday night prayer room or whatever it was, and I'd go over there purposefully and get close to Brother Raider because Rich Raider came to God late in life, and his marriage was falling apart. His kids were were 
teenagers and getting involved in all kinds of stuff. And when God saved Rich Raider, he was an alcoholic, delivered him. He saved his wife. He saved his family, turned the entire family around. And Rich Raider never forgot the pit from which he was digged. So when he went to prayer, he'd go over the corner somewhere, tears pouring down his face, soaking the carpet. He'd be saying, God, I don't even deserve to be here. Why are you mindful of man and least of all me? I'm so thankful that you picked me up out of a miry clay and put my feet on the road. And something about the passion and the thankfulness and the unworthiness of how he prayed. I want to get over there beside Brother Raider and learn that. I want to pray like that. I go get close to Jack White on purpose. Jack White was one of my Sunday school teachers. So unique in his prayer because he'd pull a chair up and he'd just start talking to God like God had pulled a chair and was sitting right in front of him. Jesus, I sure love being with you. You know, when I was doing this today and I thought about that and then I was doing this, I was like, my goodness, he's talking to God. He's right in front of him. And so I'd get over there acting like I was praying. Every once I'd say, hallelujah. Then I'd listen to what Jack was saying. I want to hear what Pastor, what Brother Jack White was saying. Because I wanted to be able to talk to God like that. I get over beside Sister Steinman, who's a powerful prophet, this great lady of God, deep in spiritual things. And I just listen to how she prayed and the deep things of what she said. Because I want that's what taught me to pray, was getting beside people and listening to them and watching them. There's more that happens when you're caught than what has happened when you're taught sometimes. And impartation, like we're speaking about tonight, happens when you're that place and that kind of opportunity. It just, it just catches on you. Even if there's not laying on of hands, it just catches on you because you're in the presence of where that's happening and your heart is open and hungry and longing for these things of God. All right. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <coughs> we begin to find uh, listing of the gifts of the Spirit, in my personal opinion, and I think I might have told you this in October 2017, I'm sure every one of you remember every word of it, that, uh, that my personal opinion is that this is not an all-inclusive list of the gifts of the Spirit. I believe there's more than nine. Indeed, you can find in Romans 12, verses 3 through or 5 through 8, that there's seven gifts of the Spirit. We call them gifts of faith, but seven gifts of the Spirit. I, some of them overlap like... Uh, gifts of prophecy might overlap, but most of them are unique in themselves. I believe that Paul is just giving us examples of how the power of God operates through us supernaturally in certain divisions. All right? Uh, here we have in the very first verse of chapter 12, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Very important that Paul is saying we're not supposed to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. We're supposed to understand them. We're supposed to use them, operate within them, be powerful within them. So we shouldn't be ignorant. And verse 2 is a great challenge for us. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. Anytime that I see this in the scripture when Paul or different ones is saying, well, this is the way that the Gentiles act or this is the nature of the Gentiles, I perk up because I a Gentile. If you're not Jewish, pretty much you're Gentile, okay, in our world today. And he's saying there's a natural tendency that we have as Gentiles to make gifts of the Spirit dumb idols. 
to make them something that we worship. Oh, that man is mightily used in this gift and make him somehow some pedestal somewhere. But Paul is saying that that's just the nature of the Gentiles. And so everywhere in the, in the United States, I'm telling you everywhere that I go in Africa, Singapore, you name it, I fight this battle that somehow when the gifts begin to operate, we can't make it some kind of entertainment thing, some scintillating mystical thing. It's not that. It's the Spirit of God moving through servants, you and me, to perform something supernatural for His purpose. So, very much so that we understand that we shouldn't make this like some dumb idols. Then he begins to, before he even goes into these listing of gifts of the Spirit, he says, I want you to understand this, verse 3. And then he speaks in verse 4, diversities of gifts, same Spirit, differences of administration, but the same Lord, diversities of operations. Now, that lets me know this, that the gifts of the Spirit don't just operate one way. It's not just administered just one way. And it's not just one gift that has to operate exactly like it's defined by gift of faith and gift of prophecy. It has diversities of its gifting. So what I can speak to you today is honestly what God has showed me. And how he leads me to administer and to operate in these gifts of the Spirit. Now, there might be other ministers that can operate in different ways or they administer it differently to a person or to a church or to whatever, and, and I've got no argument with that. All, all I can say is that this is the way that the Holy Spirit has taught me, and this is the way He has given me to administer, and this is the way that I have found it operates properly for me. Uh, I have told you that for me, gifts of the Spirit operate through worship. That's what stirs my gift. That when I began to connect with God, not just say words of worship, but when I connect God with thankfulness and with knowledge of who He is that allows me to worship Him, then the gift of God begins to stir in me. And I began to feel and to see things of the Spirit. When I'm in a church service, when individuals in a church service begin to do that, then it gives me liberty among the body of Christ. To minister. Now, it's an interesting thing because there is very little walls up on people that are not church people for gifts of the Spirit. It, if, if I'm at a restaurant, it's easy coming from a church service where the gifts of the Spirit are operating to see things in a waitress or, or a waiter or, or someone there, someone on the table beside us, or sit down on the airplane and, and close proximity to somebody. It's, it's, there's no walls up. And when guests come among us, it's the same way because they have no expectation and understanding of how the Word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword and cutting to the very... And they're just like, hey, let's see what's going on today. But we who have become very used to the power of God striking us to the depths of our bone and marrow and separating soul and spirit, we sometimes come to church, well, I'll worship him to this degree, but I don't know if I want to get on the operating table today. I'm, you know, a little tired, and that's what we do. But worship opens us up, just like that hospital gown you put on. Where did that come from? 
I've been spending time with your pastor. I just have to apologize. Okay. Sorry, Bo. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying. I just lost it totally right there. That worship opens you up. Not how, it just does. It opens you up to the spirit and to the move of God. Now, what triggers that for me, and I can see this example in the word of God, is that once worship is flowing, I, I stare into people. I think that's the best way for us to see it. And I'm not seeing your glasses, your hair color, your eyes. I'm looking at you and seeing spiritual things as you worship. I can show you this in the word of God. Oftentimes, you'll see Jesus, Jesus beheld him, and then he spoke and ministered. That word beheld means to stare intently into. Oftentimes, Paul said that he perceived and saw that the man had faith for a miracle. The scripture that we've already talked about with Peter John going to the gate, beautiful. They stared intently upon him as he was asking for alms, that this is something that allows me to see, in particular the individual that I'm looking at, things in the spirit. So I began to either discern things or see things or, or God gives me knowledge. When I say see, that's probably an incorrect word for me. For me, I don't see things. I don't see words over your head. I, I don't see images. I, I, I know things. It's like a memory that God has given me, and it's like right there, I just know that. It's, it's a knowledge gift. And so that's how it begins to operate through me. There are times when God tries to stretch my understanding to know things, and he will actually let me, I'll have spiritual senses that operate where I can smell things. It feels like a literal memory of smell but it's not come through my physical. Uh, some of, I, I just lost some of you. That's all right. You think I'm crazy. That's good. <clears throat> that I can smell what smells like infection. And I've learned to know that that's bitterness or perhaps even a physical malady. And you begin to see, smell things that are rotten and know that marriages are falling apart or homes have problems. And literally God can stretch you to smell or to hear things. Oftentimes I, I see this way. I'll see someone and they'll look just like somebody else that I know very well. I, I might look at you and say, my, my goodness, you look just like Joe Blow that I knew well and grew up with. And you look nothing like him. Your hair is black and his is blonde and you're tall and they are short. It, but when I see you, instantly there's a recognition of spirit, discerning of spirit. And so I see them and I recognize the spirit that I know in this individual and I, I see it in you. We, we're still going somewhere good here. So I want to kind of give you a foundation of this is the operation and the administration by which God calls me and allows me to operate and to move in even church services, revival services like we have. But now I want to bring your attention down to where we're going quickly. And uh, the gifts of the Spirit that are listed here, but dropping all the way down to verse 10. And he's talking about discern of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. I want to, I want to focus right here on the gift of the Spirit that is called diverse kinds of tongues. That's 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10. Divers kinds of tongues. Now, in the King James Version, that word divers is italicized, which lets you know it doesn't come directly from a Greek word. 
But this is put there to give understanding in the English language for what it is speaking about here. And in this particular instance, it is very much in tune with what the context is saying. Diverse kinds, different kinds of tongues. That there's more than just one tongue. All right, stay with me. I'll show this to you also in the latter part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Paul tells Corinth that God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. And by the way, don't be confused. This is not speaking of spiritual authority, first, second, third. It's talking about timing. That if you want things to operate properly, first there has to be a foundational operation of the apostle. There has to be a direction operation of the prophet. There has to be a teaching that gives parameters and structure. And then you can have miracles and gifts of healings and governments and diversities of tongues. That's what I want to show you. The last part is diversities of tongues. So there you have it again that this operation of a gift of the spirit is diverse kinds of tongues. And then diversities of tongues. So the very word there lets us know it's not just one tongue, but it's diversified. It has many different dimensions. There's, there's several of them. Plethora, lots, mucho, tongues. Now, I'm going to touch only about five. And what I'm teaching here, again, I'm speaking from my operation, my administration. If pastor's uncomfortable with any of this, he'll straighten it all out, Okay. And he'll say, this is where we go. This is what we believe. But I'm going to talk about five diversities of tongues. And we're going to have impartation operate in that in the house today. The first one is the evidence tongue. In fact, you can't operate in any diversity of tongue unless you first operate in the evidence tongue. That's when you repent of your sins. You're baptized in Jesus' name. And you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence by speaking another tongue as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. So the first time that you speak in a tongue by a gift of the Holy Ghost, it's gifted to you and it's an evidence tongue. Now, when I pray for people and they speak in tongues for the first time as an evidence that they have received the fullness of the Holy Ghost in their life, it happens plethora of different ways. A lot of times they don't break into a language that sounds fluent. Sometimes it sounds more like a commercial for Febreze in your car. Fa la 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 la. I'm not sure I got the tune right, but I think I got the words right. Maybe you have to listen to Pandora to, to understand it. Commercials every other song, I think, in Pandora. So, so sometimes they speak in tongues, fa la la. Now, if they do that, I will ask them, my operation, I will ask them. Did you hear yourself speak in a language that was not a learned language? It wasn't Spanish. It wasn't English. It wasn't a language you learned. And if they said yes, then I rejoice with them. That's awesome. I heard you speak some things too. I thank God for that. That's the Holy Ghost. And I encourage them. The more you pray in that and the more you give yourself in that, the more peace you get, the more joy that's in the Holy Ghost, the more faith that's built up in you. And quote James, you beloved, you build up your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Ghost. So I'm encouraging them. If I ask them and they say no, then I say, you were so close. I could see the power of God on you. If they did, I'd say you had stammering lips and the anointing was there. You keep coming because you're right there. It's going to happen. It's just a simple step of faith. It's just then just to give them encouragement again. Now, sometimes it's not fa-la-la-la-la. Sometimes it's one sentence and then it freaks them out and they quit. 
But if they say that they've heard themselves speak, I encourage them and push them toward more liberty. All right? Or lead them or guide them toward more liberty. Uh, so I'm not uh, anybody's personal experience with God. I'm not the judge of, well, they didn't get the real Holy Ghost because uh, they didn't say Shikamosh shy for 10 minutes. They only said it for two lines. So I, I want to make sure that their personal experience with God was heard by them, felt by them, and they received it in faith. Now, there are some people that I'm telling you, uh, I hear them speak for 15 minutes in tongue. When you ask them afterward, they're like, no. Anybody know anybody like that that you had prayed for? And I do the same thing. It doesn't matter that I felt like I heard them speak in tongues for two minutes. I just say, that's awesome. You were so close. I mean, you were full, but close. <laughs> and so, you know, just encourage them because it's a personal experience that they have to have. So evidence tongue. I have heard things that I'm telling you sounded so weird that I was saying, well, okay. Poochie, 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 poochie. And I thought, my goodness, is, is that the Holy Ghost? But when I asked them afterwards, they were like, oh, yeah, the power of God was so strong. And I was speaking to you, I didn't understand you. My son was three years old when he came home from church and said, I got the Holy Ghost. And we said, how do you know to just speak in another language? He said, yeah, I was saying, senor, senor, senor. <laughs> now, he was three and... I had a little different instructions with him, right? So this is, was it Senor? Ah. See, you kind of know the fruits too. That's how you kind of know. So the first tongue is the evidence tongue. Evidence of speaking of the tongue. The first one you speak. Then we have what we're probably the most common with is a edification tongue and that word edification means it builds us up it strengthens us you'll find Paul throughout places 1 Corinthians 14 you'll, you'll find him saying this praying in the Holy Ghost it builds up your most holy faith it edifies you and this is both for the individual that edifies and then also when we come together corporately you'll find this in chapter 14 that it also edifies the body when we pray in the spirit or pray in that language. That language is what you are comfortable in in your personal talking relationship devotion with God. Just as you're talking to Him, you're praising your worship, you flow into that language. And you can, I'm assuming you can, like most of us, you can, if you listen to your spiritual prayer, you can recognize syllables that you might say a lot. Are you with me? I'm getting a little nod for some of you. Okay. Because you, you just you get familiar with that sound. In fact, if you hear pastor pray in the spirit, you could probably just know it's pastor by the words. Because you just get familiar with the way people speak, not just their voice, but their prayer language, as it's called. Their, their, their spirit language, as it might be uh, identified. That is your edification that builds you up, that strengthens you. And if you read the book of Jude, this is very powerful because Jude says in the last days, like I referred to last night, there are things that you are going to battle that nobody else battles like you'll battle in these last days. And most of it is voices, it's words, it's, it's things that are saying, saying, saying. That's what Jude is saying. So he said the way that you combat that, you build yourself back up because when the world says, well, you're, you're not beautiful because you don't look 
like this Barbie doll figure, then you've got to get back in a place where you can say, God, I know you love me. And you begin to pray in the spirit. God says, your praise is beautiful. It's comely to me. And he lifts you back up. And prayer in the spirit does that. I think I could just go preach that for a little while right there. So it edifies you. It builds you up. It also puts that virtue that flows from you, that passion that seeps from you, that fervency, it builds that back up in your spirit. This is why I believe pre-service prayer can be so powerful. Because we come from everything that we've been doing in the world, in the workplace, and we come to church and we begin to pray in the Spirit. It puts new spiritual passion and energy and virtue. How many times have we said, man, I was so tired because of work and I thought, man, I'll just skip church today. But I came to church anyways and when I got there, just something about the presence of God just gave me. That's what that edification does. And if you are edified and built up in your virtue and built up in your fervency, then you've got something to minister to the person beside you, right? So fervency, the second one that I'm speaking about is an edification tongue. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. There's a declaring tongue. I'm not going to speak much about, but I think a lot of people operate in this. And it's simply for me, I describe it like this, that the king of kings has extended me a scepter and said, what do you want? Ask for it if it's half the kingdom. And so I step up and began to declare things that are not as though they are. Like he just said, whatever you speak, you just let it happen. And so I began to pray in the spirit. We'll talk about that just a little bit in a way that is a declaring tongue. But these next two that I want to deal with is where I feel like importation needs to happen for us in this place today and for 2019 to be a place that we use this to be powerful in the presence of God. The first one is what my terminology, I would call it a, a warrior tongue or a mighty man of valor tongue. It is a battle tongue. And it happens like this, okay, for me. Operation diversity, okay? It happens like this for me. I'll be praying and when I'm in a place of prayer, the Holy Ghost will call me to a gifting of diversity of tongue. And I'll begin to feel what I describe as a heaviness. It feels like it's heavy on my shoulder, not physically, but my spiritual shoulders. And my heart becomes weighed heavy. And I feel like I need to get under the weight and the load of that and carry that for a while. So maybe people would describe this as a burden, a heaviness, a call to do the work of God. All right? And when I begin to do that, as I'm praying in the Spirit, my tongue begins to change. It sounds differently than what it was when I was praying in edification. In that language that I know. Now it sounds sharper, harsher louder, guttural. And I'll find myself, and my habit is to walk and pray, I'll find myself with a, with a look of determination on my face. Teeth sometimes gritted together, fists balled up, and I'm going for it in the spirit. And I know, sometimes I know very specifically what I am fighting for. A situation in my family, 
something that has come against my kids, a situation I'm dealing with in my body, a physical body or this or that, a situation in the church, and I began to fight. And that's how we break chains and fears are broken and deliverance happens. It's a mighty man of valor, and it sounds very different. So here's where we're going to go, and we'll just walk through this. I'll lead you in it, lead you back out of it, and we'll just walk through it. So right now, I want you to just let an atmosphere for you to receive impartation happen. So worship. I'm going to ask you not just to say words you always say, but let your spirit connect with God in worship and give that liberty for gifts and impartation. And as you do that, I'm going to direct you to lift your voice in a certain area and to go in certain ways. So just follow me. And this is just going to be a couple minutes. Ready? So let worship happen right now all over the place. The gifts are subject to the prophet. That means that whatever gift you operate in, you can choose to loose it or you can choose to hold it. And this is very important because timing, timing, timing is extremely important in all gifts of the Spirit. So hold that gifting. I want you to notice how exhausting that is. Virtue has flowed from you. Energy has moved from you. You felt the calling of the Spirit. Many of you jumped right into it, began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And as you were fighting in the Spirit, there was absolutely a draining. This is why we have to have that edification gift, that diversity of tongue that is edifying and builds us back up. We were taught this, and Brother Billy Cole taught this to me, that his wife Shirley was a tremendous prayer warrior. And she'd feel a calling of God to prayer, get on her face in the floor of her bedroom, and wouldn't leave that floor for hours, sometimes literally for days. But that kind of fighting broke her health, broke her mentally nervous situations, broke her emotionally. And we find instruction now in wisdom that God comes in waves. The Spirit of the Lord moves like waves. And there will be a wave that crashes upon your spirit. And you'll feel the unction. You'll feel the anointing. And you operate in it. And then there comes an ebb. Like the tide or the wave that goes back. And during that time that the ebb goes back, that's when you need to get your strength back up. So slip back into that edification tongue and just pray in the spirit and build yourself back up. Because there's going to come another wave that you'll rush out to fight the enemy again. Now, if you watch in church services, if you're sensitive, you'll see that happen. Even in our pre-service prayer, there'll be a wave that comes. And all of a sudden, you'll hear people lifting their voice, feeling that anointing, praying powerfully. And then there'll be a little ebb. That's okay. Move back to that place where you're strengthened again with the edification tongue, that normal tongue. In church service, worship service, you'll find that. Oftentimes, there'll be a song we're singing that touches the heart of God for where he wants to minister to us. So there will be a wave of the drawing of the Heavy presence, thick presence of God. And we move in that with worship. And then there'll come a little ebb. That's okay. Our altar service is that way as well. Now, preaching service is a little different. Because when it waves, most of the time, you need to get out of the way and let the wave go. Wherever you are in your sermon, all right? And just let the Spirit of God begin to move. But in the altar service, they'll come away. Oftentimes, especially in North America, we are short altar people. You were not last night. But you're short altar people where you come down, you respond to the Word of God. There's a wave of the Spirit. 
And then when it ebbs a little bit, you're grabbing your pocketbook and kids and, you know, where's Applebee's? Here we go. So we're, we're moving. But if you will linger in the altar, there'll be another wave that comes. And if you'll get in the habit of just hanging out there, eyes closed, heart sensitive to God, there'll come waves until there's such a saturation of the Spirit of God upon you. It marinates within your very spirit until it does more than a cursory response to the Word of God, but it begins to get something deep in you. I don't have time to show you this, but Joshua was not named Joshua when he was a young man. But he spent time beside Moses and beside the presence of God where the Shekinah fell in that temple. And it changed his name to the presence of God. God is with us. So there are things and places and changes that happens in us, even in an altar, if we'll linger in that saturation level. Okay? So waves of the Spirit. They wave and we respond to it. When they ebb, that's our opportunity to get our strength back. And the, one of the great ways to do that is to pray in that edification language. Just, just build it up. Build it up. Your faith. Praying in the Spirit. There comes another wave of worship. Go for it. Another wave of ministry. Go for it. Another wave of the Spirit of God. Get deep in it. That type of deal. All right? So what we have is that mighty man of warrior tongue that many of you touched. Some of you have been praying that way for a long time, perhaps didn't know that it's a diversity of tongue. It's a gift of the Spirit you've been operating in. It's not some truly mystical thing. You just felt it in the Holy Ghost, and you went for it. You used in a gift of the Spirit. All right? Edification tongue. The other tongue that I want to speak about, that I'm, I feel tonight that I need to not deal with um, diversity of tongue and interpretation of tongue. All right? We see that tongue operate in our church services a lot, and I've got strong feelings about how it should operate in timing, in submission, because gifts of the Spirit are absolutely leadership positions. You're leading people to a place in God where you're operating, where you're living, right? So if you're not in proper submission to the God authority in your life, if you're not in proper timing to the way this operates, you're outside of authority of God. So I'm not going to deal with them things. I'm going to hit, hit us with another tongue. And this is the fourth one, I guess, since I'm skipping that one. It would simply be a, a, a travail, an intercession. This tongue is quite different. And I want to, I see small children, so I'll be very general here. But you cannot have true travail unless that you have spent times of intimacy with your Lord. And he has placed something spiritually, a seed of something in your spirit, and you will carry that with you. When you go to prayer, it's something you always pray about. When you go to worship, you feel that again. So oftentimes when you're ministering to people, when you're in the altar, you feel that thing, and it'll be something like this, that God wants you to move in dimensions of ministry, or he wants you to come to a place in the church that brings a value and anointing to the church. Or he wants you to operate in certain places. Or he wants the church corporately to operate there. So you'll carry that in your heart. Revival is that way. Now the Old Testament scripture says that when Zion travails, she shall bring forth children. That's not just, and we use that so much about you got to travail and people are born into the kingdom of God. Absolutely true. But it's the children of God that is born there. So it's anything that is birthed of God, born of God, seed planted within you. When travail happens, you bring forth the children of that. Or 
You still following me here? Am I throwing too much info at you here? So travail can only happen, true travail, when God has planted something in your heart. I'm telling you, I see people. You're one of these, sis, beside the man with glasses. You know I'm speaking to you. That uh, you're carrying something in your spirit. And God is going to call you to places of travail. So we're going to do it the same way. We're going to worship. And then I'm going to lead you to letting the language that you normally pray in your edification language to flow. And then I'm going to pray a prayer of faith again. But don't jump into it too soon. Because it's not a mighty man of battle. It's a travail. It's a birthing tongue. And it's going to sound familiar to so many of you. Jump in and go with it. Some of you have never tried it. If you operate, there's an impartation right now for you to move in it. Much different. So catch the spirit of it, the leading of it before you go. You ready? It's a travail tongue. It's a birthing tongue of what God has planned in your heart. So right now, worship in the place. And let's find that liberty again right there. Would you worship for just about 45 seconds or so? Just give yourself a little bit to worship. Now, I'm going to qualify this just a little bit. In this entire chapter, it's clear. Matter of fact, every time that Paul talks about gifts of the Spirit or anointings of the Spirit or offices or callings of God, he always prefaces it with we're one body and members in particular. And also here, very specifically, in the last part of verse 12, chapter 12, he says, all do not prophesy all do not operate in diversities of tongues. Okay? So the gift is not just everyone that has a Holy Ghost should do this. No, it's certain ones that hunger to be used of God. That when you're in prayer and you want God to use you, He will lead you and guide you, direct you, burden you, teach you. And you can operate in diversities of tongues. I feel like that God has called me to pursue diversities of tongues in many different areas probably even more than five or six. And when he calls me to do that, I follow it in the spirit and I find it and qualify it in the word of God to make sure that I'm in the spirit and I'm in the word, right? I'm going to turn this into just a prayer service. That's what the altar call will be as a prayer service. But I can see some things in particular that uh, we, we need to fight for and we need to birth. And sis, I, I don't know your name. It's okay if I speak to you. There's tremendous burden upon your heart. And there's a work of the enemy trying to destroy some things in covenant relationship. That's all I'm going to say. That I think if you just would just let us. There's others that will rise up with you as you're confessing your situation. And we can begin to speak some things in the Holy Ghost and rebuke the work of the enemy and declare some things. If, if you're feeling the passion... If you feel the compassion, the, the passionate care for someone, then it's easy to operate within that passion, effectual fervency. Also, there's some things in the spirit. Pastor reminded me today in fellowship, the spiritual authority that I spoke about last time I was here. There are some princes of this city in this region, and that's a spiritual lethargy, lethargy lethargicness. It is a uh, um, spirit of noncommittal. It is a spirit of fear. And this is what is coming against the church. There is such, it's against the whole community, but that's what hinders us as a church. There is a dimension of overcoming power. I feel strongly that God wants us to break into this church, to break into this year. And we're going to do it by operating in some of these giftings. A gift of powerful prayer, warrior tongue perhaps, travail. 
So we're going to fight for our families, as I feel very specifically to do that. And we're going to come against the spirits of this city that's hindering us from the revival and the promises that God has spoken. If you've got a specific thing in your spirit, whether to birth or whether something that you need to fight, I am imploring you today, while there's an impartation spirit here, use your circumstance of life. If you're afflicted, then get some holy indignation within you and and fight in the spirit. If there seems to be something, use yourself passionately in just the next few moments and be powerful as God will use you in the spirit. Would you stand with me? In fact, I'm asking you to stand and to make your way to the altar. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series. Or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. In the Holy Ghost, you give me peace.